0: The passage for consideration this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would turn there with me. I want you to consider yourself as a parent. Many of us here are parents. Um, If you're not a parent, I want you to consider maybe at work where you've had people that are working under you and working under your authority, or maybe it's something here at the church, maybe you have a group that you're in charge of here at the church, and there are people working under your responsibility. And I want you to think about bringing somebody into that group that you initially welcomed in, like welcoming them into your family. You had them at your table to eat with you. Uh, they fellowship with you. You conversed with them. You had a relationship with them, and it was deep and intimate, you know, like a, a, a friend of my child, and you bring them into your home, and you take them in. We take them on vacations at times, and you do various things to invite this person into your family. Now, what happens if, whether it's a family or at work, that you start to notice that the children or the employees start to act in dishonoring ways to you? You start to notice that they start acting disrespectfully. They start to challenge you. They start to undermine your authority. And it's like, well, where is this coming from? And then you start to notice that they are not only devaluing you and disrespecting you, but they're starting to speak and act in ways that you had never imagined that your child or this employee has ever done before. And it's like, where is this coming from? And you can trace the Genesis back, perhaps, to the introduction of this person into your midst. And as a parent, what you would probably think about doing is telling your child that you need to sever your relationship with this person because this person, bad company... Corrupts good morals. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That oftentimes when you bring people into your midst, they're going to teach you things. You're going to act in ways that are like the people that are around you. So as a parent, we may oftentimes say to them, No, you cannot be with this person any longer, and you try to draw a line with your child. Or maybe it's in a business environment and you have somebody that's been brought into your midst and you recognize that this person is not a good fit and you look to sever them. From that relationship. That makes it a little bit easier when it's a child, or a child's friend, or an employee. It makes it much harder when it's one of your own children. Let's think about the situation where it is your child. And your child who you've, who you've raised, your child who you've brought into the family, either by birth or adoption or whatever way, but now this child is having a reaction and is acting in a way that is impacting the rest of the group. See, to sever ties with a family friend is one thing. To sever ties with an employee is another thing. But to sever ties with a child... Your own child, who you're their father or you're their mom, sometimes you may need to do that for the health of your family. I want you to think about that in light of this passage today. This passage today is going to be a very difficult passage for us to work through, I'll be very honest with you. It's not a difficult passage to understand, it's pretty clear, God is going to lay down a rule. He is going to give a reason behind that rule, and he's going to tell you how you relate in relationship with other people. It's not complicated. It is complicated in our society because what is going to be talked about deeper than the immorality that is being dealt with is the indifference of the Christian church to dealing with sin, and that as we don't deal with sin well, what it calls us to do is church discipline. You are called to bring discipline upon this member who is acting in ungodly ways, and that is very hard for us to hear in our culture. So what I want to do this morning is work with you through this passage, verse by verse through the passage. I want to lay out the biblical argument as to why God has ordained this message to be right here in 1 Corinthians. Now, we're in this series called The Right Side Up Gospel for an Upside-Down Church, and as we've been going through, as you've heard, Pastor Doug and Pastor Tim work through the first six weeks of this book, and we've gone through the first four chapters, what you have seen is divisions that are happening within this congregation. The divisions, the factualism that is happening over and over again. And that they're pitting one group versus the other. And the worldly wisdom that is now contaminating this church. And the worldly wisdom, rather than God's wisdom, being led by their feelings rather than by God's word, is leading them down this path of division. And they're separating themselves among leaders and they're pitching camps that way. And what we're now going to see is that they're missing Christ crucified. They're missing that Christ should be the central aspect of our lives, and they're going to something other than Christ. And those divisions are now undermining apostolic authority. You know, Pastor Tim and Doug and I are pastors here in the church. We are under shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ, but apostles were much higher than us. They were instruments of God used to speak God's Word and to write God's Word with great authority. This is not merely a pastor that is speaking here, as Paul is writing. This is the apostle, the voice of God to this congregation. And this congregation was failing to submit to even his authority. And when they were failing to submit to their pastor's authority or the apostle's authority, ultimately they were showing that they were failing to submit to whose authority? God's authority alone, Christ. So the divisions, and then we're going to see it in this chapter about immorality and the immorality that's in the church, and he's going to talk about discipline. A little bit later on in the chapter, in chapter 6, we're going to talk about lawsuits within the church. We're going to talk about sexuality within the church. In chapter 7, we're going to talk about marriage and divorce They're going to talk in the later chapters about Christian liberty and how we've been given liberty and freedom, but we should not use that liberty to attack one another. He's going to talk about worship issues, you know, how how we are supposed to worship in the church. They were even dishonoring the Lord's table, this congregation. They're going to talk about exercising of spiritual gifts. They're going to talk about the resurrection. So there are a lot of things we're going to be dealing with as we move forward in 1 Corinthians. Doesn't that sound like our congregation doesn't that sound like our time today? Aren't there struggles within modern churches today? Isn't there immorality within churches today? Isn't there divisions and, and struggles over theology today? This is a relevant book, first Corinthians, for the modern church today. And there's not a more relevant chapter than this chapter in the church, especially in our times. So would you read with me here? As we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant, ought you rather not to have mourned? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent in body, I am present in the spirit. As if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has done such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. For I write to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? So Father, as we um, get this opportunity to read your word and to hear your word spoken, Lord, I pray that we would hear it as coming from your Son to us. Help us to hear the call for, for purity. Help us to hear the call for uh, reconciliation. Help us to hear the call for holiness in our lives and holiness in this congregation. Help us to be led not by the world's counsel, but your counsel. Help us to see the gospel coming forward in our lives, Lord. Help us to honor your son. Help us to be built by your spirit. Help us to come together, one together and one to another. And help us to be filled Help us to reflect what it means to be a believer to this lost and dying world. Help us to be a light on the hill. Help us to be the salt. Help us to be the light. And help us to be a beacon of truth today. Father, help us to put our our own feelings aside. Help us to be led by your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, So this morning I would like to consider three principles or three points. The first is rules. The second is relationships. And the third, I'm sorry, first is rules. Second is reasons. Third is relationships. Rules, reasons, relationship. The rules are going to take up verses 1 through 5. And Paul is going to start by telling you that there's a problem in this church. You heard it already. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. He's, he's shocked. He's appalled. He is saying that within this church, that it's got this pride issue, right? He's been talking about arrogance and pride. You think you've got it all together, Paul is saying, that Paul is saying that in your arrogance, you're allowing the sexual immorality in your church. It's appalling, And he says it is actually reported. It means that it is a public scandal. It has become widely known that this is happening within your congregation. It's common knowledge that there is sexual immorality among you. So he talks about the act. The act is sexual immorality. It's an interesting phrase, and it means, it's uh, the Greek word porneia. And porneia is this over-encompassing word. It's from what we get today pornography. But it's not just simply pornography. It is any sexual activity outside of what God has ordained between a husband and a wife in marriage. So any sexual activity that does not fall under the umbrella of sex with inside a husband and wife marriage, you do have porneia, pornography, sexual immorality. And what Paul is saying here is that the particular sexual immorality is, is of such a kind that it is not even tolerated among the pagans. Which is interesting that if you know anything about Corinth, Corinth is this divisive city and all the factualism, and you could see that the world is now impacting the Corinthian church. And Corinth is a place of sexual immorality, and that immorality is now impacting the church. So the divisions of Corinth and the sexual immorality of Corinth have come together in this church. And Paul is saying, I can't even understand this. That is now becoming public knowledge. But, but this particular sin, a porneia, is of such a kind that it is not even tolerated among the heathens. It's not even tolerated out in the world. That, that the Greeks and the Romans had laws against this particular type of activity. And this activity is called incest. That this man is having his father's wife. Now, the commentators are a little divided on this, whether that this man is actually having sexual relations with his mother, which is probably not happening, or he is having sexual relations with his stepmother, which is probably more likely. And the question is whether his father is alive or not, we do not know. The question is whether his father has been divorced from this woman or not, we do not know. But we do know that this man has chosen to have a relationship with his father's wife. And that the world even looks at that and says, that is filthy and disgusting. Doesn't it sound like our day today? That within religious organizations around this world over the last several decades, religious organizations have been tolerating sexual activity in the church in their religious organizations, that is not even tolerated in the world. The world looks at it and says, you're doing that with what? Are you kidding me? And they're having this anger outside, but it's not, it's being tolerated within that religious organization. Or how about within the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, where where this type of activity is happening and the world is looking at us and saying, what are you doing? And we're complicit in not calling it out, we're indifferent. And that was happening with, was within this church. It's reported. The world can't stand it. They think it's terrible. They actually forbid it. But a man has his father's wife. And the act is immorality, but the attitude of the church is complicity, complacency, indifference. So there's immorality and there's indifference going together. And Paul says, and you think you're arrogant. Your arrogance is coming out that you are such a holy people, and you're allowing this to happen. So godless. You're puffed up. You're proud of yourself, and you're letting this thing go. And Paul says, instead, shouldn't you have mourned? I find it interesting that uh, how much mourning do we do over sin today? The sin of another person when we hear of somebody fallen into particular sin you know there 's this snickering thing that can happen at times. We watch people on TV as they 're fighting one another. You hear of things that are happening in this world, and there 's a snickering and there 's an underlying laughter that is happening and God is saying we should be broken over this. A pastor that i i 've read his books i 've listened to his sermons i 've actually encouraged my clients to read his books, was removed from the ministry just two weeks ago. It doesn't make me laugh. It makes me sad that this man's ministry has now been undermined, and greater than that, the cross of Christ has been obscured because of this person's sin. And Paul says here at verse 2, Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So Paul begins by talking about the problem. The problem is this. There's an act that is happening within this church and there's an attitude of indifference, complacency. And Paul now talks about the procedure that has to happen, rule. Here's the procedure, verse 3. Church discipline. For though absent in the body... I am present in spirit as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who's done such a thing. So Paul, in his apostolic judgment, has heard this person, has heard this person has failed to follow right authority, has continued in this relationship, I should say this, when it says he has his father's wife, this is not just a one-time act. The Greek behind it is that this is continual, this is habitual, this is unyielding. He is continuing to act in this way. He is not submitting to authority. And Paul says he must be removed. And by his own apostolic judgment, Paul says, I have already judged this person. Who is Paul to think that he can do this? You remember Paul is their spiritual father. You remember at the end of chapter 4? Paul says that I'm your spiritual father. You were birthed. This church was birthed out of me. That God had given me the opportunity to see you grow. You're my spiritual children. And as a as a parent, he, he loves them. As a parent, he has trained them. As a parent, he has admonished them. As a parent, he has set an example for them. And as a parent, he is disciplining them. Paul is the spiritual parent, and he is calling his children together, and he says, here's what we need to do about this wayward member. So Paul, in his apostolic judgment, lays down the authority, but it's not just his apostolic judgment or authority. He says, this is Christ. He says, verse 4, when you were assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, not that Paul is omnipresent, it was just the fact that, you know what, I am here with you in this congregation, I birthed you, when my spirit is present in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the authority to do this is coming from Christ. It has now been placed here in the hands of the apostles, and now it is being placed in your hands as a church. That if you are going to honor the Savior and model him in this world, you must exercise some loving authority with this man. He goes on from the apostolic to judgment to the church's judgment. He says, when you are assembled, when you get together as a congregation, in the name of Christ, we come together today in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, under his authority, here's the action. You are to deliver this man to whom? Satan. For the destruction of his flesh. If there is not a more controversial term than this line in this culture, if there's not a more controversial time in that passage for a modern church is to hear that I am delivering this person over to Satan. This is a a judicial sentence. It means that you're removing the blessings that this person has. You're trying to protect the fellowship that is here. And by delivering him to Satan, you were saying that you are no longer welcome in the fellowship of the church, and in essence, you are put out into the world. And the world is Satan's realm. God, why would you do that? Why would you send a person out into the world if you want them to be saved? Why would you want to destroy their flesh if you want to draw them to faith in you? Because they need to learn that the sin is not going to satisfy them. You remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son needed to hear that the sin that he thought was going to satisfy him and fulfill him was not. So the father says, You go, go. And he left. And he got out into the world. He went into his sin. He went into his depravity. And what did he find? Nothing. No satisfaction. No contentment. He found hunger. He found loneliness. He found bondage. And that's what we find in the world. That if you, if you want to continue in your sin, go. But you cannot impact this body any longer. And the destruction of his flesh could be the destruction of his sinful nature. It could also be, and this is even more strong, it could be that he is going to be destroyed physically. And there are some people that you know and I know that have gone into their sinful lives. They've made sinful choices and those sinful choices have impacted them. Their bodies are now being broken down. Maybe they've given themselves into sexual immorality and now they have diseases that are there. Or maybe they've given themselves into some level of habitual sin and now their bodies are breaking down. And maybe it's now at the point where their body is breaking down that their mind comes back out of the darkness and says, what in the world am I doing? And then they repent and turn. And the greatest thing is not the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we're here on earth. It is where you're going to spend eternity, in heaven or hell. And what what God is doing here is graciously showing this person that your sin will never satisfy you, that the only one that will ever set you free is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you pronounce judgment on this person that this person may be saved. So what's the rule? The rule is that there's an act, there's a problem that is happening within this church, immorality. There's an attitude within the church, there is indifference within this church community. What's the procedure? Under the authority of Christ, you are to, the action is you must remove this person from your fellowship. What does that mean? That the person can't come. Some churches, it means that you cannot come to the fellowship any longer. In most churches that even practice this, it is about the fact that you've been removed from membership and you are no longer allowed to teach in our church and you're no longer allowed to take the Lord's table. Whatever it is, it is very clear to this person that you have been put into another category because of your unrepentant unwillingness to change. That leads to the reason. Why the rule? Okay, I've got the rule, but why the reason? And he says in verse 6, here's the reason. Your boasting is, is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. So he starts by talking about this. Here's a reason. He goes back to the Old Testament. For those of you that are familiar, you remember when the Israelites were in bondage in Israel, in Egypt? and and God had given all of these miraculous things to tell Pharaoh to let my people go and Pharaoh continued to argue and say no 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 so this final judgment is the judgment that is going to happen on the night of Passover and what the Egyptians the, the Israelites are called to do is to take a lamb kill it put its blood over the doorpost And that any family where there is blood over the doorpost, the angel of death would what? Pass over that home. Where there is no blood, the firstborn will die. It's a horrific judgment. Horrific. But now what happens is this. That celebration which set those people free in Egypt are now setting them free, and now they are able to go off in freedom. And then every year, the Israelites are called to do what? To celebrate the Passover. And the Passover was symbolic of what? The Lord Jesus Christ. That, that as I put myself under his blood, Christ passed, God the Father passed over my, me, I don't have to bear my sin any longer. I don't have to bear the wrath any longer. There is no condemnation for those who were under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, now Paul is saying, I want you to think about this because in that Passover celebration, you needed to remove leaven out of your midst. Leaven was a kind of yeast or whatever. And they were supposed to remove this symbolically during this Passover celebration. And Paul is saying here, this leaven, the old leaven, you're supposed to remove it. Because leaven had this way of when it got into a dough mix, it spread. It infiltrated the whole mix. So you remove the leaven out of the dough. So he's using the symbolism that is right there in the Passover of remove sin or it's going to spread. If you do not deal with unrepentant, unwilling sin, it is going to spread from the person to the community. So you must remove it. So he begins by saying the reason is that you need to cleanse yourself. Clean out the 11 or the sin in your life. But then he gives a second reason. He says, I need you to continue in Christ. It's not just cleansing out sin. I need you to continue in Christ. Look here in verse 7. It says, as you, verse 6, it says, as you are a, I'm sorry, verse 7, as you are really an unleavened, meaning you have been set free with a new life, total freedom. You've been eliminated from sin. You have a new life of freedom within you for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for you. I stand under the blood of Christ. I stand under his mercy and his grace. I need to continue to live under his grace. So I have been cleansed from my sin, and now I live under his grace. I continue in him. So you, the reason why we clean out this lumpus and we clean out this situation is because sin is residing here, and it will spread. You need to cleanse it out. And then you also need to continue under him. But the third reason he gave is I want you to celebrate what Christ has done for you. He says, verse 8, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. There is something about worship that deals with sin in our lives. See, that when we are really worshiping Christ, when, when Christ becomes exalted in your life and in my life, sin starts to diminish. The desire for sin starts to lose its grip in my life and in your life. So Paul is arguing here that there's a particular rule that has been broken. He says that you must deal with this rule in a particular way, and then he tells you the reason cleansing, continuing, and then celebrating. And then Paul ends the section by talking about relationships. He talks about the different relationships that we have. He says this in verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, Paul apparently had written a previous letter to 1 Corinthians. So we have 1 Corinthians um, Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But apparently there was a letter prior to 1 Corinthians. And he was dealing with this issue of sexual immorality. And as he's dealing with this issue of sexual immorality, he says, I don't want you to associate with those that are sexually immoral. Great. But as he's saying that, they took that to mean that we cannot separate, we need to separate from those that are outside in the world, not those in the church. And Paul is saying, I wrote in my letter to you not to associate, not to have a close intimacy, not to indiscriminately mix with somebody that is of the world, of sexual immorality, but I want you to think about those two different types of people. There are people in the world, and there are people within the church. And there are two different ways that we handle it. For those that are here out in the world, what he says is this. I don't mean, verse 10, not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of this world. So Paul is saying, I don't want you to avoid the people in this world. I don't want you to avoid the sinners in this world. The whole reason this church exists, the whole reason you are here, is to display the gospel of Christ to a lost and dark world. How can you leave the world and become a monk You need to live in the world, but not of the world. You need to be there at work tomorrow. You need to proclaim the gospel when you get opportunities, but the greatest thing that you need to do is to demonstrate the gospel into a lost and dying world. So Paul is saying that with the sexually immoral, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters, you need to reflect Christ to them. Don't leave that world. Jesus said, you're in the world not of it. You're witnesses of Christ. Don't misinterpret Paul's statement. He didn't say withdraw from contact with the unsaved. We need to be living witnesses in this world. Are you doing that this morning? But Paul says there's a different procedure when we're talking about somebody who claims faith in Christ. For the non-believer that is here, we have you, we want to connect with you, we want to reflect Christ to you. But for the person that sits here today and claims to be a believer in Christ, claims to be a a believer and a submissive to his will, and is acting in ways that are going against God's word, God says there's a different way that you handle that person. Verse 11, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or idolatry, or reviler, or drunkard, or swindler, not to eat with even such a one. What Paul is arguing is this. Every single one of us are believers. I mean, every one of us who are believers are sinners. Don't misunderstand me. And every one of us who are sinners are going to sin every single day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't sin in thought, word, or attitude or action. What Paul is arguing is that when you are brought and the word is brought before you and you are presented with the fact that your thoughts, your words, or your actions go outside of God's authority and you are unwilling to submit to that, then you are acting in this unrepentant way. And how can I continue to have fellowship with you as though everything is okay when I'm bringing God's word to you, you say, I don't care, and I'm going to continue to act as though everything is good? I can't do that. It's not loving. And if I go down the path of complacency or indifference, I'm telling you that what you're doing is okay. You can't do that. You wouldn't do that in your own family. You wouldn't do that in your work environment. Why should we do that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? So the rule, is, the rule is that we need to deal with sin, unrepentant sin in our lives. The reason is because God has called you to be holy. He wants to cleanse you. He wants you to continue under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He wants you to celebrate Christ. And that we do that by living in a way out in the world that we reflect him, by proclaiming his gospel and demonstrating his gospel. And we do the same thing for other believers. We proclaim the gospel and we demonstrate the gospel, but we call this person to purity. Paul ends this section here and he says this. Don't even eat with such a one. In, in all likelihood, this is kind of like intimate fellowship or we're going to go out to dinner, or we're going to go on vacations with this person who's acting in this way. It could also mean that we're not going to participate with you in the Lord's Supper. Whatever way it is, there is an intimate fellowship that has to be severed because this person is choosing to act in these ungodly ways. And Paul then goes on to say that we don't judge outsiders. People that are outside the faith, we don't judge them. God judges them. But we, as a church, are called to judge one another. To help one another to grow in life, to become more and more like him, he says, "Outside the church, um, those inside the church are whom we are to judge. God judges the outsider, and then he ends the section by saying, "Purge the wicked person from among you."." Sin is deep. Sin is deceptive. Sin is destructive. Every struggle that has happened in this earth is a byproduct of human sin. Every broken relationship, every cancer, every tsunami, every tornado, every death is a byproduct of human sin. And if we do not deal with sin well and quickly, it will spread like a cancer. It's like a malignancy, like a parasite, it just sucks life. And God calls us to live in holiness, live in accountability. Why is this word so hard for us to hear today? Tim Keller's interesting. Tim Keller says that there are two elements that we struggle with today. He calls the first one moral individualism, and the second one is expressive individualism. In his moral individualism, he says that I'm only responsible for me. I'm not responsible for anyone else or what anyone else does. How many times have you heard that today? But then he talks about expressive individualism. I decide for myself what is right and wrong. I define right and wrong. And my circumstances, I'm going to mold my circumstances to my belief of what is right and wrong. And Keller's argument was this. If you combine those two together, that I'm only responsible for myself, I am under no other authority, and that I make the law and the standard, you will not have somebody that will call somebody into account for what is happening here. It's not my problem. They're doing it, but I wouldn't do it. I don't need to get involved. I don't need to confront. But church, I need you to hear that you are a corporate body. The reason why Jesus Christ called his church a family, he called them a building, he called them a temple, is because we are all together unified as one body. That there are thumbs and their fingers and their eyes and their ears that are all part of this community of believers. And if one part is hurting, all of us should be trying to help that part that is hurting. So I want to close with this. Our church is supposed to display God's honor and God's holiness. And by doing so, what we want to try to do is to restore individuals to holy living. When we call out sin in our body, what we do is we deter others from falling into that same sin. We show that we are different from the world. See, the reason why the world is struggling today with us as a church is because we don't look much different than the world. See, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is supposed to reflect something radically different. This this is to display our love for one another, that we're willing to discipline one another. It's not to be harsh, it's not to hurt, it's not to harm, it is to heal, it's to have harmony, it is to honor God. One person put it this way, said this, the world is waiting to see such a church that takes sin so seriously, which enjoys forgiveness so completely, which in its gatherings has the awesome sense of God's immediate presence to bless, to shape, and to transform people and to love and involves itself with the people of this world in costly, compassionate service. See, we're called to reflect the gospel. The gospel is supposed to transform people's lives. And if we're not living transformed lives in this community, we're not going to have the ability to reflect him out in that community. So Paul is a parent who admonishes his child... Paul is a parent who loves his children. Paul is a parent that urges his children and sets an example for his children. But Paul is a parent that knows that at times he's going to have to discipline his children. There are going to be some here that's this morning who have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, there's heaven and hell that waits. The sins of this world seem like they are going to satisfy you, but I will tell you, they will leave you hungry, lonely, and enslaved. And in the end, if you do not turn from it, you will have to stand before that Christ who came first as a Savior. He will stand second as a judge. I pray you don't. For the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are here for one reason, to reflect Him to a lost and dying world. I'm asking you, do you do that in your families? Do you do that in your work? Do we do that in this community? The rule is there, the reason is there, the relationships are there, but greater than that, it is the Christ that is there for you. Are you standing under his blood and are you reflecting him? So Father, we thank you. And we praise you. Father, there are sinners all around this room today. There's a sinner here in this pulpit today. I pray that we are saved sinners, though. I pray that we are sanctified sinners that are looking more and more like you day after day. And when we are called out, because of things in our lives. Lord, help us to hear it. Help us to hear it as coming from you if it lines up with your word and help us to submit and surrender to you. Help us to know that the things of this world will never satisfy us. I pray that they would be growing strangely dim in the light of your son's glory and grace. Father, for those of us that are believers today that we know we're caught in life-dominating patterns of sin, we know it. Help us to be broken by that. Help us to mourn over it. Help us to think about the reason for change because we are cleansed. We're supposed to continue under your son's blood. We're supposed to celebrate your son. Help us to live differently, to reflect your son. Father, we recognize all of that happens because your Holy Spirit who convicts sinners to come to repentance who regenerates sinners to become believers, and who transforms believers to look more like your son. So I pray your Holy Spirit would spread his power today. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen.